Welcome to the newly cleansed and refreshed In The Game podcast, where we invite you to transform your dreams into reality. Every week, we aim to touch, move, and inspire you to new possibilities for your life. My name is Sarah Maxwell, and is it really time for me to now intro my own show? Heck no! Bring in the Aussie talent to get it done. With their groundbreaking first season as The Nat and Sarah Show, the foundation has been laid for a life of manifesting your dreams. Join us as we delve into the nuts and bolts of what it really takes to bring those dream boards into reality. It's time to dust off your dreams and get back in the game of life. Are you a member of the community? Head to Facebook and search In The Game Podcast to download your three-step journal to begin the workshop-style teachings and gain exclusive access to your hosts and featured guests. Get ready to take action on your possibility. Today, we continue the conversation with the original nomad. Jane Paluzzi and her husband, Michael, have been professional remote living since 2000. They have written more than 80 books, including Hema Maps, which map out the remote areas yet to be blazed in Australia. They became trail assessors, did the 1,000-kilometer Bibbleman track in her 50s, and all of that with a diagnosis of juvenile arthritis at age six and told she might have to live in a wheelchair for her entire life. When her father died at age 11, she decided she wanted to become a nurse, and that she did, becoming manager and trauma coordinator as an ICU nurse in Perth, Australia. She ended up leaving nursing in her 30s, however, and went back to study and become a travel writer. And I've always wanted to get behind what keeps a professional adventurer ticking along because many would say she's living the dream. So Jane, you ready to get into this? Absolutely. Let's go. Let's go. So look, I'm super curious about this decision to become a nurse when your father died at age 11, you seem quite sure that there was a decision there. So, you know, what happens when you're 11 that lets you know that you even declare something like that? It's, it's interesting because I did, I actually declare it. I just had a knowing that that's what I was going to be at that age. And as you said, I was in hospital since I was, you know, six to eight and then my uncle was and then dad was. So it was very, I was around hospitals a bit. I don't actually remember any nurses, weirdly. The nurse I remember is um, uh, Hot Lips Houlihan from MASH, the same era. So I don't know how much of influence she had in that decision either. So it was very much a lot of what my life is, is organic. It seems to just happen with that and flow in without me actually knowing how it's happening. It's like it's all not fatalistic, but there seems to be some sort of, um, it's about joining the dots. It's about, um, just seems to be there and sometimes it pops out. And so without imagining you as hot lips, hula hand <laughs> or whatever, um, when, what was, so if you could almost remember back a little bit about, even though the, there wasn't nurses that were present, what was it that you thought a nurse was about? And what was it about being in hospitals and your, your dad dying that had you want to be one? It's, it's quite hard because sometimes I think I'm over-logicalising it from this point of view because it was all about illness and 
not wellness. It wasn't about health. It was about being sick. Right. I've, I've almost got a vomit phobia because I remember my dad with chemo vomiting in the backyard. So I actually have a bit of a, oh, God, can't vomit. Like I don't vomit. It's not something I do. Right. Um, so, yeah, it, that decision, yeah, don't, I don't even remember nurses. I remember physios used to have lots of those. But, yeah, because yeah. of your... And describe to people, you know, what is it like to be a six-year-old with juvenile arthritis and, like, what's that like at school? What were you not allowed to do? What, what was happening for you? So, um, originally just my knee swelled up and they couldn't work out why. So, uh, eventually they said, okay, it's juvenile arthritis. Um, some friends of ours were a doctor and a nurse and he's the one that I overheard saying, I think she'll be in a wheelchair by the time she's 15. Um, that didn't happen, luckily. But um, I rem also remember being in a physio ward and every I was just doing knee exercises, but everyone else was having um, chest percussion because they all had cystic fibrosis, which in hindsight, I now know that none of those kids actually lived, you know, beyond 18 because... At that stage, there was no cure. There wasn't transplants. There wasn't anything. So I now know that they were all, they'd all died. And I, so. How do you feel knowing that? Oh, it's a bizarre feeling that I was lucky enough to actually get, not have what they had. But, um, and see there again, I, I need, maybe I wanted to help because all of these kids were so sick around me. Yes. Do you remember a time of not being sick or not having something wrong with yourself and, and being in a, like in your imagination where you like that as a, cause you're an only child, right? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, not being sick. So obviously I didn't actually feel sick either. I just had big swollen knees that hurt. But before that, yeah, I used to run around and do things, dance. I used to be in ballet classes play sport for a six-year-old of course six-year-old you would know what that is <laughs> exactly i'm living um, that so if you can imagine that in you know a year's time jordan was pulled out of all of that physical education physical experience and told to sit on a chair for the rest of her life it's um it's yeah. a weird thing i have a concept that i actually think i was extroverted i, I love energy i love excitement being with people but I taught myself to be introverted and do introverted things like the books and the stuff. Cause you, yeah. you became really good at school, didn't you? Like that was where you decided to really focus your energy. Yeah. So I, well, I wasn't, I was, could always do better. was my good thing on the report, but yeah, I was, you know, I was a good studier, didn't try hard, but I got through pretty easily. Yeah. So you go on to become that nurse Yeah. and I want to kind of, Give me a little bit behind, I'm going to call it a dream. I'm not sure it was actually a dream to become a nurse or that decision and the actual nursing environment and why you left it. Uh, so, you know, I'd been in nursing for 17 years in total. Mm -hmm. And obviously ICU is a high uh, adrenaline place. It's, a, it's controlled chaos, we call it. Um, so eventually the you've got to do night duty every six weeks it's very intense emotionally physically and eventually i burnt out so um i used to go to work and want to have a patient who was paralyzed and sedated because i didn't really want to talk to them anymore 
So paralyzed today, you know, they're just lying there, very sick. Yeah. I'd rather the very sick ones than the ones that I had to chatter to. And so it was the signs of burnout. The other thing was we would go away for a weekend and I'd pretty much cry all the way back because I didn't want to go back to work. So I'm glad you're describing it because a lot of people use the word burnout. And you know what I always think? What does that even look like? So it looks like crying all the time. And yeah, I'd be all right when I was there. But it was the getting there, the thought of having to do another eight hours in there or 10 hours was just, you knew you'd be shattered by the end of the day. So to actually make the move and say, I'm leaving, Mm -hmm. was that easy because it was so desperate and terrible for you? Or was it scary to go back to university in your 30s? Uh, So the going back to university was because I knew what I didn't want. they, They were forcing people to do nursing degrees. I had a... Uh, hospital-based diploma so they're forcing everyone and I didn't want to do that I knew that's not what I wanted so I did so I went back as an accountant because my mum was an accountant my dad was an accountant yeah I did one unit of that and that was the end of that and I transferred over to um, sociology which just I didn't even have to think about it it just once again just flowed Um, so I did my degree in sociology and philosophy and it had a bit of politics in there, which I used to ignore. <laughs> um, so, and I didn't know where that was going to go. No idea at all. And you just and then, did it because you loved, like those courses just really flowed for you. Yes. Yeah, so that, it really interested me. I loved doing the assignments. It was just, it was just a personal, loved it. And then, um, so I started that before I met Mike and then I met Mike, the photographer. And so he started writing and I thought, well, I can do that quicker than him. And so therefore I started, one of my theories is I often think, how can I make it happen? So it was okay. Well, if I can join him in the business, I can do the writing because I can write fast and get stuff out because I was used to being doing 3000 word assignments at uni. So in my day off, so I would look at how can I make that happen. I had long service due in two years, so I decided to I would make that happen in that two years. So that by the time I walked out the doors, I had uh, six months half pay as a buffer to jump out. I wasn't going back though. I like that. Okay, so why did you have the buffer there? Because you were sure you weren't going back. Because I love this critical moment because a lot of people sit and never take the moment. So you made a plan. I hear it even mentally. Yeah. Did yeah. you actually write it down or did you just have it in your mind? I would have mapped it out on paper. Yeah. I would have said, okay, we've got two years to, I've got two years till I get to that point. I will need to get published so many times in that time period. I've got one day off a week to do the work. Let's do it. So yes, there would have been a plan. I would have sketched it out pretty informally, but yes, I would have done it. Were there any hiccups? In the plan? No, just happened. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So like you're pretty nonconformist, you and Mike, and meaning you just literally blaze your own trails and, you know, you even became trail assessors. I'd never even heard of someone doing this. Like I didn't know this was a thing, but clearly a map gets written by somebody. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was the guy on the boat arriving, like the the voyager, but... (laughs) There's people like you and Mike that go in these crazy vehicles and map out places that have never been mapped before, which is quite symbolic. 
yeah. for your life. It is, um, yeah. Like, what do you think is in you that allows you to forge like that? Um, I, I, it, it's about things just float into my head, ideas. Yeah. And then I think, how can I make that happen? Then I um, have a theory about asking for what I want. Mm. So when the idea of uh, working for the four-wheel drive company was, so many people got four-wheel drives, you've got them. But do you know how to take them? Where do you know? Do you know where to take them in Queensland? It's people just use them like station wagons. But what if you needed to? What if you wanted to go off road? Where do you go? So that was the initial plan. So we pitched it to a couple of companies, and Hema was the one that came back with it. So they said yes, and we went yay. We have no idea what we're doing now. <laughs> so they'd sit us up in the car with all these computers around me, and I had no idea what to do it was it's I pretty scary story because the you know there's a gps on the roof and then i've got a laptop here and an ipad here and we're bumping over trails and i'm trying to as mike says at least i don't get car sick but you know i'm trying to map it as it because it's recording it but i've got to do little things along the way like okay we need to dive there. we need to dive in a couple areas because everyone needs to grab a page. This is why I work with Jane, everyone in a couple different businesses, because I love just hearing the things that she just gets on with. Okay. So you say, how can I make that work? You get yeah. these ideas that pop in your head and you ask you, you quickly just said this thing about, and I have this thing about asking for what I want. So you go and present this to the company. And then, so that takes for you, that doesn't even feel courageous. Am I getting that? It's just sort of easy. Yeah, that part. The sending off the idea and asking is easy. If, some, if they say yes or they say no, yeah, whatever. Okay, good. So Which you're good up to that. Then you're sitting in the car. Cause I think a lot of people try to mitigate this moment. You're sitting in the car before a lot of iPhone capabilities and GPS and computers, like you're on an airplane basically, and you've never taken a pilot lesson. So what happens for you next? Do you cry? Do you, do you, do you have tantrums? What do you do next, Jane? I, I get a little bit anxious. Like if uh, Mike would probably say I get a bit snappy cause I'm a bit watching what's hopefully everything's going wrong. If I think something's going to not quite be right, I'll be <gasps> get a bit snappy with him, but I just, you know, get through it. I have a, in, I know I will get there in the end. I you think. know that about yeah. everything is that sort of a little bit of a background blanket yeah so um you know with the macmillan books don't you want to talk about that but the when they said do you want to do six hey, hold books? on she doesn't oh, she won't want okay. to say this part so so she worked with macmillan books and wrote over 75 books with them yes. is that right yeah yes okay keep going and so when that was a bit organic as well, how that appeared on our plate. And when they said, okay, you're just going to write six books about living in the outback. We did, we say yes before we work out how. Mm -hmm. So I'm learning stuff from myself by saying these things, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're seeing part of your success strategies. Yeah. Yes. So we say yes and then go, God, how does that work? And then mm -hmm. just have it a very steep learning curve. And you just, yeah, and you just get down and you you yep. get into it. You just get yep. stuck into it, don't you? Yeah, step by step. It's a, I do believe in the step by step. Just do the little first bit, then do the next bit, and then do the next bit. Because if you look out too far in advance, it becomes too overwhelming. Boom. 
Hmm. I hope everyone's hearing this because, you know, you've been remote living before it was trendy. Okay. So like, had you even known? So again, was this a forging moment? Had you known anybody that did that? How did that even happen? No. So, um, we were sort of traveling about three, four, five, six months of a year. And a friend of ours just said, Oh, can you look after Tilly? Tilly was a golden retriever who was like our, we were surrogate parents to Tilly. And she worked for an airline, so she just referred us to other people. Mike and Jane will do it, Mike and Jane will do it. And so then we were doing six months travelling and six months of house sitting and we went, the place is empty, let's just rent it out. So once we moved, decided to do that, uh, it just all just happened. Yeah, amazing. And then word of mouth, we managed to fill up our year over and over and over again until... March this year. <laughs> yes. So Jane, Jane has a unique, it's actually, what do you call that when you're, you're not, you're stuck at home, but there's a word for that an expression, not waterlogged. What's that called? When you're stuck somewhere, but do you want to just quickly describe what it's like for you to live in one place? Uh, so yes. So we've been here now for five months, which is the longest place we've been to since 2000. So, um, and uh, we decided in March to take my mum out of the nursing home essentially and look after her. And at the same time, we had COVID lockdown. So it's been, you know, when I get itchy feet, I just decide we can't go anywhere anyway. So here we are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here we Next are. adventure. We get to do podcasts instead. Yeah. <laughs> Woohoo! How exciting. Yeah. So, okay, let's talk about itchy feet then. So, Tell me about this appetite for adventure, you know, like this idea of like not knowing what comes around the next corner. Like, do you get anxious and uncertain sometimes, or are you just like a junkie for that? I say, okay, I was thinking about this on the, in the daylight, I am a junkie for adventure. So I, it doesn't matter that I don't know what's going to happen. I have a trust that it something will happen mm -hmm. and it'll work out. I don't, if I wake up at three or four in the morning, it'll be, oh my God, what's going to happen in three, six months. But I have done that for 20 years. So if every, I'm always thinking six months in advance and little and worrying about it. Yes. But in the daytime, no, we're fine. It's, it's great. Something will happen. Got it. Okay. Nat, you'll love this one. I, I feel like she might relate to this one. So there's a six month angst. But mm -hmm. a very confident daily, <laughs> <laughs> daily, uh, what do you call it? Posture. Is that sort of it for you? Yeah, 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 definitely. Okay. So you must be. Because I've never like... known what's going to come next. Never. Mm. You must be thriving in COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Not in the six month way, but in the daily yeah. way. Um, okay. I want to talk about travel fit because I know that's something that you needed to put together like these two words traveling mm -hmm. and fit because why does that distinction even matter you're super experienced you and mike have been at this game before a lot of people had an instagram account to show us theirs mm -hmm. so what is it about traveling the planet and the fact that you want to be fit why does that even matter well it's, uh, traveling is my number one passion and it's where i'm in it's my happiest place i'm the best person i can be when i'm actually traveling in that adventure and 
when you get to a place and you can't do something because of your own fitness or health at that time, mm -hmm. it seems to, there's some degree of regret around not being able to because mm -hmm. of. So, um, have you had that or you've seen that other people having that? I've got so two examples and it's a weird one, but um, we're in Guatemala on a place like Atitlan and there's a volcano that you can hike. Now, I had to stay close to the toilet at the time because I could not, I had, they call it Montezuma's revenge in those countries. Um, so Mike went on his own because <laughs> I just couldn't get, I couldn't walk around, you know, I just had to stay close to the toilet. Yeah. Right. And it similarly happened in Borneo as well. Um, there's a big flower, like the biggest flower in the world, blooms, and it's only very rare. And we just happened to be there at that time. And they said, yes, there's one up on the hill. And once again, I had to stay close to the toilet. So it was about my gut health at that stage. So okay. what I was, obviously I had diarrhea, so I couldn't do what I needed to do. And that's just purely gut health. But if you can't do the walk to get to the special place because you're not fit enough or climb that mountain or just there's part of the travel that you're not experiencing. Does that make sense? It totally. And so give me a, the image or not the image, the feeling of Mike's getting to see this rare flower opening and you're there all at the right time and it all should be well. And you've literally got the shits and you can't do it. So <laughs> What does that feel like to know that you're missing out like that? Yeah, it's like it's just like, oh, well, we'll probably never come back here, so I have missed out. And there's a part, just a little part of you go that this if this experience hasn't been quite fully taken to its fullest capacity. And you know, when I heard your examples, I love them because I feel a lot of people listen and they assume that it's normal. When you go to, like, I know that used to be my assumption hmm. when I would be in Bali, like Bali belly was normal. And I mean, I traveled a lot for sport and it was sort of like assumed that in certain places it's normal to have diarrhea. Hmm. So tell me what it's like to not feel that you have to be at the mercy of that. Uh, so when you, and the other one is jet lag. Can you imagine not being able to do something because you're just too jet lagged to get out of bed when you've paid all this money to go and have this adventure of a lifetime? Mm -hmm. um, but when you have, when your body's vibing and excited and well and you can do anything that you wanted to do while you're there, it's it's exciting. You don't have to go, well, we better put in this factor in a day for jet lag and what if we get the squids or... The full, you, you know, you can plan out, experience everything. You can, I mean, you can't be stupid, but you can, you know, you can't just eat anything, but. So what is the fitness about, Jane? Is it about, um, you know, like run it, like, you know, I remember going on a hiking trip, so I did a training plan. Is that what you're talking about? Like, how does that help me not have diarrhea? Well, yeah, that's the, it's, you the hiking is about your gut health, not about, so there's training about health, yes. fitness. Yeah. But there's also things like altitude, all these different things that are healthy body, yes. healthy gut, all of those, um, and energy in your mind, mindset, that are the whole picture. It's not just about having the correct training program. It's mm -hmm. about being your 
best person while you're doing your traveling. So how do you have a good gut when you go traveling? Oh, so I have, I cleanse on the plane. So um, do intermittent fast, supported intermittent fasting on the plane. So I don't arrive bloated. Um, yeah, okay. That, that bloated tummy after a normal flight. Disgusting. So um, then, you know, with the right nutrition when you hit the ground yep. so that you're not jet lagged. I mean, there's some sort of time zone change, but you're not jet lagged. And then if you maintain that nutrition, even though you're eating wonderful food from all over, if you're just having one superfood smoothie every day, you can manage to cope with everything else. So you travel with that then? Yeah, all the time. Okay, that's really cool to hear because I know that for myself, that was something that, imagine as an athlete, like going and feeling like, okay, so I know I'm going to kind of be sick here, but yet I'm going to perform my best. And I'm, you're talking about enjoying the trip. And I mm. felt like my whole career was on the line with how it was showing up. So thank you yeah. for sharing those like really distinct ways of doing it. Meaning sometimes I feel like people tell us these ideas, but they never give us how to do it. And, mm. and I know there's more to the story and they can check you out and we have notes in the travel notes and stuff. So they can actually travel notes. The show <laughs> notes. I'm, I'm on a trip. <laughs> transported with you. Um, but yeah, thank you for that. Because I think that we hear what you're saying. We go, Oh, you mean I don't have to take a day for jet lag. Okay. I could actually hit the ground running in Paris. So how do you think right now, <laughs> kind of putting you on the spot, I think, but right now in these times where we're not traveling for as far a distance, what is travel fit about right now? Um, so to me, there's certain things. It's a travel mindset um, about having that. I was doing, we live opposite a jetty and I was out there on the jetty with Mike and saying, do you remember when we're on that jetty in um, San Juan Islands, just down from Vancouver Island and we were standing there and how did we feel? And that feeling we need to bring home and feel it here. That's my whole concept of travel fit. Um, Travel mindset, I suppose. Okay, um, pause, pause. pause yeah. we need, that's a good one. I love that. Why is it, what do you reckon is different about you and Mike? Is it San Juan? Why don't I know this? Because I'm Canadian. This is bad. Effort. It's in America, but just down from okay. the I'm feeling the better now. Thank you. <laughs> Free Willy was filmed there. Oh, well, there you go. Now <laughs> I know it. <laughs> so, why is it that you and Mike were feeling all free willy there yeah. and then we come home, by the way, you live in a place that people travel like around the world to be in and, you know, yeah. and Perth or Fremantle and all these beautiful places. Why is it that we feel different and allow our mindset to be different over there, Jane, when we're on our vacations or we're on our travel trips? This is my, one of those things that I've been researching for years. It's the, why do we, when we're traveling, why are we this free? We talk to everybody, we um, experience, we're just happier, we, we try different things. And then when we come home, it's like that seatbelt sign on the plane goes ding and we return to homebody where we're insular and grumpy and back to work. Why is that? Hmm. Is it a cultural thing that we've got this four weeks a year that we're going to jam our happy life into and then we're going to 
slug it out for another 48 weeks until we get another holiday. That seems ridiculous to me. Um, I did nursing as well, so because I had nine weeks holiday. One of the other reasons. <laughs> I don't know if this uh, is going to help your quest and your, like, your investigation, but because I was away for a year yeah. um, in one of the most beautiful, like picturesque places on earth in Switzerland, mm-hmm. I was just thinking about this last week, actually, that there was often times where I was feeling quite um, low energy, even in beautiful surrounds. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it actually is related to, um, mm, I hesitate to say this, but it's not necessarily the environment and the nature. It's what we bring to it. So I was bringing yeah. almost like that at home mindset. So there was something going on in my mindset, even over there in Switzerland, that would also be happening let's say in the daily grind of Australia. Yeah. So when we like, when we were house sitting in England, we would be living like we lived there, but we had this, this mindset of, uh, isn't this amazing? So when we then go house sitting in fig tree pocket, just around the corner from where you used to live, it's the same concept or in a suburb in Perth, Mm -hmm. we go, we don't know this suburb. We are going to explore this suburb and go to different coffee shops and walk different streets and shop at different shops and talk to different people. And Hmm, I like it. I get it. Yeah. It's about bringing that person that we are traveling and home, but still you uh, probably in Switzerland, you went to there to, was it a vacation or live? Well, well, what you just described is I hope everyone's listening to this because this is actually secret sauce stuff because what you said was the first three months. I mean, I don't know to the date exactly, but let's say the beginning was what you just described. We taught, we lived with a family that was from this picturesque, beautiful town. And like every cobble on that town to us was exciting and interesting. And they kept saying to us, how do you know so many people? Like they couldn't believe who we were meeting because we were open. We knew every coffee shop. We knew every nook and cranny. Um, And then I do think, and this is per, I'm not sure if Nat would say the same thing, but I did slip into some form of regularity and whether I was, what I would say to it is I became less present. Mm -hmm. You know, you can be in the middle and I was, I lived in the the vineyards. I'd never lived in that before. And there would be moments of pure presence and awareness and other moments of being in a bad mood, walking amidst it. Mm. Um, We also do think of something called a, the having a routine in the chaos mm. because we could have been living anywhere in the last 20 years. We like to do the So we do get into routine, but we make sure we do it everywhere. So even if we're on in, a, in Europe or America or Canada, we would do the same routine because it's all about being a lifestyle mm. about living that travel lifestyle all the time, every single day. Okay, so secret so sauce number two. No, you know, but you've just given secret sauce number two that Jane just gave was important because that's what I was not doing. And I think we talked about that while I was away. I said, Jane, what's that thing you do? Because I've lost the plot. And, you know, I had lots of excuses of why, but yeah, I didn't have a routine. Um, and I, there was a moment where, yeah, I just kind of lost my way. I lost my kind of 
guiding center or something. I don't know. It was really interesting experience to do it whilst technically on vacation. Yeah. So, okay, Jane, I think you're just delivering like nugget after nugget, by the way, guys, Jane knew some of what we talk about. And then I just sprayed the rest on her, you know, <laughs> good old, you know, swing, you know, we're just went oh natural because we talk to each other every day. But Jane, because you live this life, I know for you, it just seems normal. And yet there's something so beautifully abnormal about it. So I love how atypical you and Mike are. Thank you for sharing all of who you are. I feel like this is just a beginning because travel fit is something that a lot of people in my view don't talk about. So I look forward to hearing how you help more people enjoy the place that they're in. And then when they actually, you know, when the planes open and, you know, we're back exploring the world that we can take that same zest for life into all areas. So thank you for what you're doing. Oh, thank you for having me. We so appreciate you listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community on Facebook by searching In The Game Podcast. There you can download your three-step journal and participate in our weekly live video chats. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to put your fingers on the keys and send us a review. <laughs> <laughs>